0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current
1: sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and we are diving into Romans chapter 6. Last week we dove into Romans chapter 6, kind of a a prequel per se. Yeah. Before the teaching, the teaching was this Sunday, and now we're following up. We're diving deeper into the teaching from Romans chapter 6. And we're going to talk a little bit about freedom, how it's defined, um, how it's defined in culture, even, how it's defined in scripture. And one of the analogies that you used was uh, understanding jurisdictions, of course, we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that. But it, it was birthed out of uh, another, another reckless driving incident.
0: (laughs) Ethan would challenge the reckless um, part of that. Like he would. uh, So your son received. He would wish to reframe. You reframed the story, Uh-oh.
1: so your son <clears throat> Ethan, who just got his driver's license a month and a half ago, uh, quelled his um, his desire to to experience fast moving car freedom around the the hills of Leaper's <laughs> Fork outside yep. of Franklin, Tennessee,
0: and got caught. Yeah, so I mean, think about it. Like when you were. Kid, sixteen years old, a car actually represented like your first real shot at, yeah. at freedom. Yes, um, and we did the whole um, the Dave Ramsey, whatever you save, we will match. Yeah, um, there's a plan. We, Yeah, what we didn't cover, and maybe Dave covers this, but I don't. Maybe I missed it. Is uh, if we have a fifty percent stake in the purchase, we should get uh, a fifty-one percent <laughs> stake in the uh, what he buys. OK. Yeah. Um, but we did not. And so he purchased. And, and I might add uh, your wife uh, was heavily involved. You know, actually, she was. She's a bit of a uh, a car freak. Yeah, that was when that car was being purchased. I can't remember. There was something going on at the church. It was like a crisis of some kind. I don't remember. But in the background, there's like my wife calling from like Meth Lab, Kentucky, <laughs> uh, asking car, questions about this car and, and your wife is, like, literally advising her uh, competently, I might add. Yes. Um, about the right questions. Oh, no, no, that's, I'm getting this wrong. That was the first one. That night, she was actually with her. Yeah, my wife actually drove
1: with your wife I, and Ethan to the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. I'm mixing. I've blocked this all out. It's, so,
0: it's such a painful... To purchase this yeah. speed rocket. The first call was her asking the questions of... Uh, of my wife to her, and yeah. she was asking all these questions, which which turned into, "Hey, what are you doing tomorrow?" or something like that. And they went for it. Yeah, and so yeah, we were dealing with a crisis of some kind. I just remember we, I had to keep getting out of the room, yeah. and talking on the speakerphone, and it was your wife on the other line, and <laughs> which was hilarious. Uh, she knows her stuff, man. She did, and so yeah, because he, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he did something that we tend in our own lives, uh, in other words, the ability. To make the decisions wisely, uh, he, his car, his engine can go faster than his brain can work. Yeah, um, 16 years old, that's... Yeah, and, uh, right. you know, which is not unlike uh, the way our private lives <laughs> work out in general, but, yeah, so he he, he was on the uh, the Natchez Trace. Uh, Beautiful with, drive this time of year. Yeah, and had no idea that the speed limit is 45 or whatever it is, because it's, if you're from Tennessee, you know, the, the Natchez Trace is this... This is rolling. It goes from Nashville all the way to Mississippi, and it's a, a national. Anyway, yeah, so he 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 gets on there and starts to open it up. And I mean, he said it was within seconds that uh, of being on the Natchez Trace that <laughs> it, it, the blue lights were behind him. It was uh, a little lesson to be learned. Uh huh. It was an expensive lesson. Um,
1: now, does he have an envelope set aside through the Ramsey? Uh,
0: no, he hadn't gotten to that part
1: where he stashes some money away for potential.
0: No, he in fact is actively seeking employment, because <laughs> um, uh, I sure as heck ain't paying it. You um, don't? He, he didn't come to you and
1: say, "Hey, Dad, this is fifty percent. you help for uh, half? I mean, to go half." He's on this ticket.
0: Yeah, and here's why he did not. Uh, because I, when he purchased it, said, I, "I want you to know what you think you're purchasing and what you're actually purchasing are two different things. Uh, you are purchasing a speeding ticket." Yeah, because it's if, a fast car. If you get in that little thing and someone pulls you over, if he's in the Honda Civic or whatever, you know, late model Nissan, you know, somebody might be inclined to say, "Oh, it's your first time," you know. Sure. But you 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 get in the, the mint green Honda Prelude with a, whatever they've done to that engine. Yeah. They're like that's on you, buddy. You bought this to speed, and so you know this is this is you know you got to pay the piper here and. But one of the things he really learned about,
1: though, was jurisdiction. Yes. Knowing, what well, he didn't know, but now he does know. <laughs> that this, it's a federal offense to speed on the <laughs> Natchez Trace Parkway.
0: Well, what's funny is that, like, in the age of the Internet, you'd think that they'd have more common, like, knowledge, which I guess I said that out loud. I'm realizing we all know that that's not true. But he made a comment that, yeah, I mean, everybody knows. That, like, there's never anybody. They can't get you a speed. You can't get a speeding ticket up there, and nobody's ever up there. Um, Until they are. Which is patently false. Like, it's 100% not accurate. Like are sitting there waiting. D- yeah. Detective Adrian Breedlove from Brentwood Police Department texted me after Sunday and said, man, tell your son that they're relentless up there, man. They will give even cops get speeding tickets on the Natchez Trace because it's like a whole different world. Yeah, so he went into this place where he thought he could just b- b- drive whatever he wanted without consequence and realized real quick that uh, that there's no such thing as, uh, as a, a sin without consequences. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he... He comes home uh, with this sheepish look, and mom was at the uh, little ladies' staff retreat, and we thought, "Well, we'll, we'll let her. We won't ruin. <laughs> We're ret- not going to ruin the retreat <laughs> for mom." So, yeah, he, but
1: this was three um, weeks in a row that we've uh, we've used uh, speeding <laughs> ticket analogies from the stage yeah. uh, for our Romans teaching.
0: Yeah, it turns out maybe we need some more sanctification in our.
1: Well, that's later in Romans. We'll church, get there. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's funny when uh, I actually genuinely didn't think about it until that morning. Like, oh, this is like the third week in a row that we're
1: opening up Well, I'm it started with, started with me running from police in Michigan 20 years ago. And then, and then it followed <laughs> up with your uh, warrant out for your arrest from an expired <sighs> ticket. And now your son's involved. Yeah.
0: By the way, helpful for him to know the consequences of not paying your ticket. That's true. Uh, Learn from the sins of your father's. Yeah. Especially because this is like a federal one this is like th- th- listen to what how competent our, our government is the federal government um, the options to pay are write a check oh come on seriously and mail it here or pay by phone you've got to call yeah, them. You're <laughs> kidding me. like like hello President Biden I want to pay my speeding ticket like I don't like there's no digital form of payment the United States of America. And you got to make a phone call or drop oh, a check. Man. Ethan doesn't have a checkbook. Right. He yeah. has a Who debit does? card. So, yeah, wow. it's like you got to pay by phone. I'm like, man, like 1998 called uh, Clinton wants it, his government uh, back. It's such now. a dichotomy because there's such
1: a push, Uh-oh. and we've talked about this, and it's for sure, I mean, it's happening every day. We go from things like all this AI technology. Yeah. And, but yet we still have one foot in. The 70s and 80s, where we're mailing a check for a speeding ticket. Yeah, all in the same breath. Yeah,
0: in the same organization. Dude, I had I have a friend uh, that you and I both know, who shall remain nameless, uh, who had as a client at one point the NSA. Ooh, they, can tell. And he was telling me last night that uh he walked away from this this client, um, like totally bummed because he's like he realized that. You know, he said, maybe there's a – where Edward Snowden, whatever he's talking about, maybe that place existed, but it is not in Washington. Yeah. So those were a bunch of bureaucrats that, and his, and he walked away going, oh my gosh, we're screwed as a country. If these guys are the ones that are our national security agency, like old right. guys, bureaucrats waiting yeah. to, you know, cash in on their pensions, like we're hosed, man. Not
1: those guys. I'll tell you where the NSA is hiding out. It's an Iron Mountain. If you want to Google something today and you're bored, just go Google Iron Mountain, and we'll circle back later.
0: That sounds like Colorado. Is that where that is?
1: Maybe. Huh. Yes. It's out west. But jurisdiction was a great <laughs> analogy. That's
0: true. There was a point to all that, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. because the point was that, um, which he got a civics lesson at the same time he got a speeding ticket, which is that he was given the ticket by... Uh, the park ranger, again, who he was convinced wasn't able to do that because all of his friends were certain of it. Um, But that was their jurisdiction. And it is a strange little strip of road here in Tennessee because it is federal. Like, if you are on that road, any maintenance, any upgrades, whatever, um, is federal in nature. So, you know, had he have opened it up under the bridge, flying out Highway 96, he would have been the park ranger couldn't have touched him because he had no authority over him yeah. under the bridge, but on the road, he had all the authority. And that was uh, what I felt for like when I was talking with him about that, I was like, Oh, this is like Roman six. Like he's talking about that sin is a ruler in this world, but it is not your ruler in this world. It has no authority to pull you over, um, mm. with it. And so with that, uh, the the whole idea of, of what sanctification even looks like is you know sin does there's a there's a power of sin in this world and by us becoming um, members of the kingdom of God what Paul is saying is that you are now dead to that authority and now there is this new authority that you're reporting for duty for there's this new and there's still an authority and there are still consequences all that stuff is true it's just that you your authority that you report to is not uh, is not the one on this road; it's the one that may, the maker of roads, so to speak. Yeah, like it's God it's so good. is our authority, and um, for for that, I guess you know the thing about Romans. Like, um, I wonder if Paul understood this when he was. It's like his opus of the gospel, like, like sometimes, like we, we, you know, it's like in a, they say this with a, with every single in, in the in the music studio, every single. Every song is a hit, right? And then you release it, and then you find out whether it really was a hit or not. Right. Um, but sometimes you just know, like, this is this is good. Man, right? for sure. This record's going to yeah, just rumble. I wonder if Paul thought that when he was writing Romans, like, this is going to be... You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Because he went... To, here's what I, I... When I think about this as a, someone who writes and, and creates content and speaks and whatever, you know, when you're communicating to a small group, you want, you know you want to give them your all, you know, it's the whole act like there's, if it's five people or 5,000, just leave it all. But everybody knows that that is not how it it doesn't come naturally to do that. You know? So I wonder like, did he know that when he was writing this out, because it seems like he would have thought that the only people that were going to see it was the church at Rome because that's who the letter was written to. And, you know, obviously inspired by the spirit, all that stuff. But like, this is like a magnum opus of like, of the gospel that has been studied for, well, 2,000 years now and counting. I just know. I wonder if he knew that this – because I'm reading this, and it's like this just is so profound yeah. and so literally your Christian walk spelled out here. Because, you know, I can say you're not a slave to sin, and especially – well, anybody, but, you know, especially men would say, then why can't I quit – this behavior or that behavior? Why can't you know which we're going to get to this weekend in Romans seven, by the way, which is again, there's nothing new under the sun. That was Paul was dealing with the same stuff that we deal with today. So we're going to actually get to that question as far as um, what if I keep doing stuff that I don't want to do? But Romans six, he at least starts with the premise of here's why you don't want to do the things you don't yeah. want to do. Like it's there's a genuine consequence of sin, like the, the your penalty, Romans 1 through 5, your penalty of sin is gone as far as the eternal. You are right in the eyes of God. That is gone.
1: You know, I think one of the reasons that he had such clarity to this is his past. Right? Hmm. I mean, wasn't he the one killing Christians for their belief? I mean, he had blood on his hands.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Think about that thought. He he was a professional Christian persecutor and now I mean it's a murderer yeah you know but he did nothing quote-unquote illegal by the standards of the Roman Empire by the standards of the Roman Empire but by God's standards uh, he was a murderer yeah like you don't get very far into the Ten Commandments before he says don't kill anybody right Mm -hmm. like um, and if you live with that Guilt and shame, which candidly is one of the things that is so maddening about the woke toast culture right now, which is somebody that did something 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but we just because we just now found the, the letter or the the tweet from 10 years ago, like you got to be punished now for what you did 20 years ago with no recognition that you may have a you may have changed. But I'm really thankful that God doesn't look at us that way, yeah, like God's not scanning our Twitter lines looking for gotcha moments um to you know flog you with it but w- with Paul, yeah coming out of that world like I mean especially in Jerusalem um, where you know he was where he was running around like man there was he understood redemption, yeah, completely you, redeemed, yeah. And if you've not, you know, which is, I mean, let's, if you really struggle with forgiveness and your own forgiveness and your own heart, you know, um, I, I, I'm assuming nobody in this podcast audience has murdered, uh, anyone, but, but if you have, you know, Paul's yeah. Paul did too. Yes. Um, and God didn't cancel Paul. He redeemed Paul. And that's really good news for all of us. One of the
1: quotes that came out of. Sunday's Romans six. Um, you said this true freedom, isn't doing whatever you want to do. True freedom is doing
0: what you're designed to do. There's a difference. Uh (laughs) Yeah, that is, um, if you think about even our culture of America, we were born under uh, with freedom. I mean, freedom, Remember when France was like screwing stuff up, and so we, we couldn't. We, they're not French fries anymore; they're freedom fries. Like you know, like <laughs> <Right>. the, <laughs> you know, freedom fries, freedom fries, freedom toast, whatever. Um, A lot of references to toast. Yeah, that's true. Woke toast, Woke freedom toast. toast. Freedom I toast. prefer
1: the freedom toast.
0: But freedom is the um, is where it's, I mean, obviously, our country was born out of that idea. And, you know, it's probably a good idea to define what freedom is, if if that's it. Um, Because in Paul's example, he did nothing illegal by by Roman standards. But it was 100% immoral in the eyes of God. And so whose jurisdiction do you fall under to define what is sin and what is not? There are things that are allowed in our government law in the United States of America that might be legal, but they are not uh, moral. The most obvious of those is abortion. Right. Um, it is legal, it is, it, it is so legal <laughs> that uh, most people can go through uh, many days without ever even thinking about it. And to me that's an interesting idea because with the slaves in Asia that we set free, people Mm -hmm. drive by those brick kilns all the time in those cities and don't think anything of it. Right. Right. Normalized. Yeah. Normalized. Completely legal. Like when we set them free, when we pay the fine or their their debt— there is a contract with the paperwork with the numbers and they use thumbprints instead of signatures and they just, but that is legal by that government. But God in God's eyes, that is 100% immoral uh, against it. And so yeah, defining freedom to me is critically important because if our idea is freedom, so right now freedom, what we hear a lot of is to do whatever you want to do. Like, that's what I want. Freedom. It sounds so great. Um, and if, you know, and of course, the, the the flip side is who enforces it when there's, um, when there's laws? So who's you know taking freedoms away is is there. But if you as a body, as a Jesus person, as a Christ follower, say that uh, I am subject to laws of this land except for laws that violate God's laws. Um, th- to me, that's the, a big, you know, over this last year, you know, the question of whether we had the freedom to gather or not was one of the questions. And we talked about that. I just felt like that wasn't the right question, whether we had the freedom to gather in the United States. It was the question was, is do we have a biblical obligation to gathering? Like, is there a biblical law that is higher than this, you know, mandate? It's not a law. It was just a mandate. Um, and obviously we can look in retrospect at places like Florida and California and say that you know the, the the clearly had no different you know numbers whether those were workable but that's not you know that's a whole other conversation we've already had this is about who has the authority to say whether you gather or not gather and the believers in China the believers in uh, Afghanistan would say that god's law is higher than their their laws um so that's like this macro idea, but then on like the the ground floor level, the idea of freedom is, I can do whatever I want to, I can make whatever decisions I want to, and I can. Um, the, the big thing we hear a lot in in recent year, the recent years in in the transgender community, which is, children, uh, should have the freedom to choose, if they're a boy or a girl, and 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 make that decision. Now that's a that's a freedom that uh, I, I, you know I, I mean, obviously my 16 year old can't even follow the speed limit right I mean, he, he's making, he makes terrible decisions every day at that, at that age like you know there's on the one hand you, you know, we say that a child isn't of legal you know to consent for sexual activity um that's why things like statutory rape exist and I, I think that's a great law but on the one hand you, you have the freedom uh, to choose whether you're a boy or a girl and start having surgeries and whatever when you're 10. Approved by doctors, approved by doctors, and shamed if you think that that's crazy. And then, but at sixteen, you're not allowed to even make a decision. Um, now that said, I'm uh, mark my words um, that within ten years, okay, mark this down that pedophilia will become more acceptable and possibly legal in our country, and the transgender path we just went down will plow the way for it. Agreed. The, there are already voices out there. Mother Nature, Vulture, or Mother or whatever. No, Mother Jones uh, is that is that the it's 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 a it's a, it's, it's a super progressive uh, I quote unquote new site. Vulture, Vox have all hosted op-ed pieces in the last couple of years, making a case that we shouldn't shame people who have struggles with pedophilia. Uh, we should normalize it. Yeah. Um, point is that's if freedom is about just consent and that's the standard for it, that's a problem. And that's the problem that it comes to, and Paul was writing to a culture where that actually is where he had come to in Rome, uh, which is that men very much uh, you know, openly—I mean, Nero, after he pushed his wife down the stairs and killed her, uh, castrated his 16-year-old boy servant, who was his sexual toy, mm-hmm. uh, and made him dress up like his wife. Like crazy stuff, but that was like that's where that culture was coming from, and that's like two thousand years ago. We think that could never happen again, but if if freedom means that I get to do whatever I want to do as long as everybody around me consents, or as long as uh, you know, then that's a it's it's a logical conclusion of all of that.
1: I remember kind of a little bit of a deviation here, but I remember the first time that I had absolute freedom. It was I was twenty years old. I was living in my parents' house, right in a room in the basement. And and in that summer of 2000, Jennifer and I got married. But a month before we got married, we'd purchased a house. And so I moved from my parents' basement with rules and curfews and I I could only eat whatever they bought. I moved into this house that I'd bought. So now I have a house that's mine and there's no rules. I can buy whatever I want. I can order pizza whenever I want. I can stay up as late as I want and watch whatever I want. At 20 years old, I just had this newfound freedom. Like, yeah. oh, my word. I can, I can do anything. <laughs> Not subject to my parents' rules any longer. I make the rules. It's my house. And that didn't play out as, as I thought it would for very long. Because I need to have some boundaries. <laughs> yeah. I can't spend my paycheck on junk at the at the grocery. I can't be ordering pizza every night. You know, at some point I really need to put the video games down and, you know, go to sleep so I can get up and go to work the next yeah. day.
0: And in that lies that idea that freedom to do whatever you want to do is not true freedom. Like, that's right. actually lonely. Yeah. If, you know, I can just wake up at noon if I want to. Right. Uh, I can eat pizza three times a day and nobody's going to be around to tell me what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in marriage, I mean, that gets... When you get married, and I don't know how long into your marriage it happened, but you get pretty quickly slammed in the face with, there are things that I just did that I thought were normal that turns out are not so normal. (laughs) Right. Or not necessarily things that my wife enjoy. Right. Um, And... But the thing was is that in marriage doing whatever I wanted to do was not freedom in marriage. That was actually chaos and an ended, uh, doing But on the other hand, true freedom in marriage is doing exactly what I was designed to do in marriage, which right. is to, to lead this house, to protect my wife, to, you know, be the, the, the father of these children, you know, to lead in a way that when I'm doing what I'm designed to do, that, is true freedom yeah. like I in that role I feel fulfilled in that role you know so if, you know if, if you're a gamer and you get married and you continue to play games like 20 hours a day or whatever like you have the freedom to do that doesn't mean it's right doesn't mean it's right and you are ultimately going to you know destroy your marriage and destroy your your credibility as a, as a parent and so yeah the, the idea and Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians um Five, I think. Um, it's First Corinthians ten. He actually talks about that, uh, verse twenty three. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but every not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. He's literally d- describing true freedom at that point. Of like that, um, I, the good of my family means that I'm going to make different decisions with it than I would. If I weren't married and, and candidly their decisions that, uh, I mean, I've been married 27 years, so I'd love to say that I've arrived at this, uh, but my wife who, who doesn't listen to podcasts, so she'll never hear this, but, uh, <laughs> but would, would, would readily say that he's got a lot left, you know, to, to, learn again, sanctification, Romans six, like we're on this journey of finding freedom to be who we were designed to be in Christ um, and if we can, and we'll get to Romans eight, you know, but we 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 just learned in Romans three, four, five, whatever, is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so you were created to rule and reign with Him. First, uh, it's Colossians three, like we are seated with Him in heavenly places, and so the the step to freedom of. Making, you know, of, of undoing these choices and, and to, to get authority over these choices in our lives starts with just remembering who we are and who we were created to be. Um, that, the, you know, the culture is going to continue to tell us that we can just do whatever you want to do. And that's, you know, whether it's Demi Lovato or whoever, I mean, that's literally like the the contestants on The Voice who are being interviewed, just, to, you know, follow your dreams and do whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah, I wonder if some of this thinking, though, too, um, well it does it it there's implications even in in the ai world right artificial intelligence making decisions as to what you can or can't do or what's you know the, you know it's the old what's the what's the analogy about you know a car and a train and a person um you know the, the the car has to make a decision whether or not to avoid the train and kill the person or hit the train and yeah yeah um like yeah. there's decisions that have to be made that have to be programmed into
0: this artificial intelligence. Yeah, It's programming morality into it is what you're referring to. Yeah. and That's the idea that somewhere in Silicon Valley is an engineer like eating Cheetos and drinking Dr. Pepper coding what is right or wrong. And so if you're in your self-driving car and uh, there's a crowd of people – that you need to avoid. And the only way to avoid it is to slam into this wall, which will kill you. The, you know, the moral answer to that, of course, is go for the wall. Right. And then you ask anybody, okay, but would you drive that car? Would you let that car make your decisions for you? Like at what point, like whose morals are programmed into it? Yeah. And the algorithms are supposed to keep getting smarter
1: and smarter, meaning like they learn, they're learned and then repeated and then made better over time. And so you play that, exercise out exponentially, where does it land? Like, what decision will it eventually make? There's a decision that it's programmed to make, but as it learns over time, in 20 years, does that does that AI, does that computer make that same decision 20 years later
0: with more authority? There was an experiment um, that was reported in May of, uh, in June of 2021 this year about, uh, like, I just found um, the Canadian... Broadcasting article about it, uh, and it says AI has a racist problem, but fixing it is complicated, says experts. Interesting. And what they have figured out is that as they, as these things continue to learn and grow, so to speak, they actually, weirdly enough become more racist, not less. So the more like a human, it's here's the irony. the more like a human they become, the more like a human they become. Uh, it starts to sinful. calculate bias. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, there's a, uh, this is f- from Mutali Nukande, a former journalist, technology policy. She says that AI has a race problem. Um, this is an expert who runs the U.S.-based nonprofit uh, AI for the People. What it tells us is, AI research, development, and production is really driven by people that are blind to the impact that race and racism has on shaping just not just technological processes, but our lives in in general. Um, a, uh, Amazon told CBC News in an emailed statement that the the words speaking of the N word had slipped through its safeguards that keeps offensive terms off the site. Those safeguards include teams that monitor product descriptions. In other words, as these things are learning. They have people that have to, like, figure out whether or not this is good or bad. And so it, it does come back to humans, but the more humans are – and it's like it's like social media. Like, the more humans interact with it, the more, like, a human it begins to act like, which is our fallen sinful self, not this whatever utopian idea that they uh, – that these guys think that this could achieve with it. And, and again, like, if, if we're going to decide what morality and what freedom is, is uh, – <laughs> Is who do we want telling us what is right and wrong at that right. point? Like, who do we trust to, to tell us what is right and what is wrong? And uh, I'm not so confident in Bill Gates's uh, ability, especially in the last uh, f- few weeks. And by the way, this stuff has been known, but because they, you know, they needed him to be the head of the vaccine thing. Like the 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 the, the corporate media has definitely in, co- in concert squashed these stories of. Of Gates's sexual dalliances with uh, uh, you know inferior employees mm-hmm. at uh, his company, sure. subordinates, uh, you know the guy was a perv, running around the halls in a billionaire perv, and but they were squashing the story, because they didn't want anybody to tell. My point is, I don't want Bill Gates telling me what's moral and what's not moral. Um, we also have the um, CEO of Pfizer telling us what's wrong and not wrong this week. So that did not please me. <laughs> Because when you've got the CEO of a company who not even possibly 100% directly benefits from financially from this product telling us that it's immoral to not purchase his product – like you know, if you do, if you want to lose credibility as corporate media, and you ignore that story, yeah, that's a step too far. And good lord, if <laughs> if we had a, if if this was a product that had a long-term, lasting benefit, they don't need to market that. Like Coca-Cola uh, doesn't need their CEO shaming people for not drinking Coca-Cola because people have a benefit from the product that they like. Like. It's, these products will tell their own story, but if your product is is sketchy and your product is, is turns out it has a six month shelf life, and so now we don't know what even fully vaxxed means anymore. Like, we, at some point, are you telling me that it's immoral that you're going to kill thousands of people?
1: Yeah, he said that. Um, he said these people are criminals. He told the Atlantic Council CEO, they're not bad people. <sighs> <laughs> but they are criminals. That's really funny. And they've cost tens of millions of lives as they've shown hesitancy to vaccines. Wow. It's kind of doublespeak. I don't even know how to respond. Cost tens of millions of lives. Is that the quote? Uh let's see. They're criminals because they have
0: literally cost millions of lives. Millions of lives. Okay. So everybody Comma, but they're not bad people. So everybody that's not receiving this treatment in the United States is responsible for the deaths of millions of people of millions of people and should be criminalized millions of which died before the vaccine was ever available uh to us the point is like that's not even a factual statement like that's such a, a ludicrous statement that
1: yeah and if you watch the interview which is circulating i mean everywhere if you're looking for it um he's he's kind of like i mean just super kind of like vitriol kind of like foaming at the mouth even yeah Bizarre um, elitist type attitude and it was just it's, it's just really hard to take Some of these guys seriously um, When they're spouting stuff like this Knowing that like all the facts and the figures and the numbers both financially and Efficacy and everything else are out there right now and then he's coming full-bore with something like that
0: yesterday What's bonkers? Literally bonkers, like bananas to me, is that the the, the research from Israel, the research from uh, the UK right now, who these heavily vaxxed populations, um, and and look, I know that some people listen or actually, you know, think that I, I say something like this because I'm trying to go for unity or whatever. I'm really not. I just I just want the truth. Like I, I've said it, but unifying around a a lie is just not, we're not going to do that. I would rather be divided by truth than unified by a lie. Um, there's just a lot I don't know about the vaccine. But there is a lot we do know now. And a lot what we know is that, A, it doesn't stop the spread. So this guy's saying you're costing lives because you didn't get it. And now you, that like that's inaccurate because people who have it are spreading it. We know that people who have had it die with it. And we know that there is a, a timeline of a few months where the efficacy is really high or and they just just like you get it and you're immediately going down the hill, so like I've had friends who work in the medical field who have told me that they know one hundred percent that the vaccine has saved lives and um and it's based on the idea that when you when they've come into the hospital, now nobody's asking at least not in local hospitals yet that I know of. Uh, I know one of our major hospitals here. They don't even ask whether you've had it before. They're not checking for antibodies. They just ask whether you've been vexed or not vexed. Um, but you get in it, uh, and, you know, for the first couple of months, it seems to have – that seems to be what the numbers show, that for a, a few months that this has a pretty high efficacy of preventing it, as does antibodies from a previous infection. Um, and so if somebody wants to take that – you know. It, I would – to me, this is actually a better conversation because I would really be struggling with the freedom. If, if this thing was 95 percent effective and, and held its efficacy, heck, if it was 70 or 80 percent and it was like smallpox or polio or yellow fever, like there was a years-long benefit to it that was proven. You know, I would be very open to hearing some of these policies and, you know, do we need to do this? But when you hear the like that, that to me, the, the CEO of Pfizer, you know, foaming at the mouth on his Twitter account, you know, account is a guy that knows that these numbers at the core, he can't, you can't justify these numbers. And blinded by profit, blinded by, I mean, it's one of the things I get really frustrated when I hear, especially corporate media, you know, parroting all this stuff. They're the ones that are supposed to hate this guy, you know. He, they're supposed to hate billionaires, right? But this billionaire, because he has their Narrative in mind, Um, like in this weird world, like the the narrative of quote the science and the uh, and the billionaires came together. They're willing to look the other way on on that stuff. And quite
1: frankly, Pfizer is one of the biggest ad purchasers donors for. Every single one of these mainstream oh, media dude, outlets.
0: Dude, dude, don't even get me started. You saw that video that was floating around the Internet, of, and all it was was it was, I think, Rogan sponsored posted Sponsored by Yeah, by sponsored the, by Pfizer. Sponsored, sponsored by, by the, okay. Pfizer. Every major media. like Which uh, gives him then a front row seat yes. and a microphone
1: to say whatever he wants, including what he said yesterday, criminalizing those that are asking questions.
0: I am literally befuddled at that idea that... um. The the again, corporate media, which is there's not a .org, so they're trying to make their their rent. They're trying to pay their bills, whatever, um, which is part of the challenge. If they're trying to pay their bills, and then they've got a sponsor that is literally there now. The you know the tele uh, you know televangelist for. I mean, these guys are literally like running a you know. Hey, call the 800 number on your screen and <laughs> get your vaccine shipped to your door. Like it's. Um, it's, it's that blatant with it, and for them to get money for it, that's a fascinating. Well, it's a conflict of interest, first
1: of all. Um, and then also this week, um, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, uh, issued a statement to the entire league, which consists of 30 teams and hundreds of employees across the board. So, you know, thousands are affected by this new NBA rule. Um, which is now saying that uh, if you had a Johnson, if you had the J and J shot, any player, coach, employee had the J and J shot more than two months ago, that they are now required to get a booster. Wow! Two months, and for the Pfizer Moderna, six months.
0: So, <laughs> so we have a family member. Uh, <laughs> we have a family at the church um, who I didn't ask for permission for us to say his name, so I'm not going to say it, but. He uh, applied for a religious—he's ex- a pilot—applied for a religious exemption, um, was granted the ex- uh, exemption, and then retracted the—because it wasn't quote-unquote fair to those who had already received the vaccine. Um, And he received the Johnson & Johnson one because it is a more traditional. There's a lot of questions around fetal cells and sure. uh, lots of questions around that, but he was— uh, he just didn't trust the mRNA stuff, but point is, they accepted that. And the question is: In two months, is he going to have to do it again? Like that? To me, that's this this slope of like of of an ongoing. Oh yeah. Like monthly vaccine, like oh, it's yeah. a subscription. Like it, now I'm streaming vaccines instead of like I've got a streaming service.
1: That's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I know we're sometimes hyper hyperbole around here, but. That's what's coming down the pipe. I mean, we said this a year and a half ago that some of these things were going to take place. So, we're not like trying to predict the future, but you just kind of play it out and you can see kind of where this is going. I mean, you this will be part of our culture is a monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, whatever you want whatever it lands yeah. booster that's going to be required to do certain things, and the only reason we kind of get fussy about some of this stuff is because <laughs> fussy. <laughs> we're we gotta, we're, we're interacting with with those of, in our church body on a daily or weekly basis that are faced with decisions they have to make. It's crazy for their jobs. Yeah, right, wrong, or indifferent, and, and just because you ask a question or push back to some of these things, based upon current data that we have almost two years worth based upon just natural immunity and antibodies of, uh, alone that you're not allowed to ask those questions and we're having to help walk people through making decisions as shepherds um, yeah it makes it, it gets it gets a little it gets us a little fussy sometimes um, <laughs> and, you know and so when the NBA comes out and says that they use data to make these league determinations, and showed the antibody levels for Pfizer and Moderna receipts wane after six months, and they used data that showed them to make a decision that's now going to require a booster for the J and J after two months. That's one of the I'm, the NBA is one of the largest corporations in the country. And you don't think that that's going to be set a precedent for who knows how many other companies, um, and, and especially that this current administration has said regardless of any of the lawsuits that are in place right now to stop the mandate Mm -hmm. that they are pressing forward with this to become law in January. Um, That came out this week as well. So like this isn't going away. Just as we talked about a year ago that the mask conversation wasn't going away and that it was going to switch from masks to vaccines, Yeah, Um, it's not going away. So how do we respond? Going back to the point of the entire podcast, and <laughs> the point of the entire yeah. reason we've dove into Romans, like, how do we respond to these type of questions about right, wrong, loving our neighbor uh, when when we live in a culture and a world that is um, led by different principles yeah. than perhaps
0: kingdom culture? Yeah, that is... Um Because here's the thing. Like, I know that there are some people that listen. They don't listen anymore, maybe. So I don't probably have to address it. Who are annoyed that we are talking about things like the vaccine or masks or... Current events, things that are actually happening in our lives. Hot button issues. But, man, if the Bible doesn't inform us in those decisions, I mean... You know, again, now this is still on the table. We all go, you know, to Murray County or Shelby County or whatever, and, and or not Shelby County. That's like Memphis. Like uh, <laughs> buy a hundred acres and live in a compound and churn our own butter. Like the, the, the you know, which is an option. Yeah, that's that's actually becoming more compelling. Um, if we could figure out high speed internet, uh, but if these issues can't if these issues can't be informed by scripture, and by the way, many churches uh, and fellow pastors who are friends of mine. Who required masks and who required distancing and whatever? They actually use scripture to justify. sure. Their, you, you, we got to love our neighbor as ourselves, you know of Romans thirteen, all you know. And so you know we just have a fundamental disagreement on what how the scripture informs it with it. but for us, these are the questions that we're all asking. I mean, we're I, I literally I have a trip to Israel scheduled in February. There were fifty people signed up for it. Israel has changed their vaccination schedule. If
1: it worked, why would it change? I mean, that's that's yeah. what's
0: so frustrating. And and that is the again the the question of the efficacy of it is is it true or is it not true? I mean that's literally the the bible is it true or is it not true? That's it's really not that hard of a question to ask is it true or is it not true? And Whenever you see confusion, God is not the author of confusion, so we know Absolutely. He's not behind that. And when you see uh, narratives that are being hammered, that are, uh, you know, like for, like one of the narratives that we see a lot right now. Uh, oh, this is a whole other thing, but when when people talk about what happened on January sixth at um, at the White House, when I read somebody, uh, a writer, a journalist, and they use the word insurrection. I know exactly what they're doing which right. is a narrative. Yeah. Um because you read another writer and they say uh, a riot, a mob, you know, um but but using the word insurrection is a very intentional word to very intentionally say a narrative of it. And so when you start seeing those words being forced into it and there's a narrative, the question is what is true and what is not true and let the chips fall where they may. And what is true right now is that Studies out of multiple European nations and India and Asia have shown that masks are between 10 and 15% effective. Uh, they are by no means 100%, not even kind of. Uh, and we know that this vaccine lasts for about six months. And we know that because they are now requiring it to be updated after six months. And so whatever this uh, line in the sand is like is it an every six month thing is it an every you know uh, that's what's true right now so it i'm okay with talking about that and when someone is making a decision on whether or not they're going to subject themselves to an experimental treatment that has never been done before in the hum, you know, history of humans if you're a little hesitant about it that's that's not an unreasonable position
1: especially now we're going to add another layer to this especially now that's going to impact our children they oh, have green-lighted man, yeah. Greenlighted the um, the vaccines for children ages 5 to 11. In San Francisco, which always goes from left to right, like west to east, San Francisco, th- those children are required to have it to enter in public schools. Um, required in, in California, specifically San Francisco School District. So you now have a five-year-old who... If you look statistically, it's a statistical anomaly for them to, one, get COVID, two, die from COVID, are now being subjected to a vaccine um, that they don't know how it will impact them. In fact, Dr. Rubin, who is a part of the FDA panel, Said this, he said, We're never gonna learn about how safe the vaccine is until we start giving it. That's just the way it goes. That's what he said. So here we go. We're about to enter into a whole new extra layer of of this to where decisions are gonna have to be made by parents and they may not even be given the decision whether or not to vaccinate their children to attend a public school. Yeah. This this goes I mean, the 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 precedent this sets is frightening.
0: Yeah the the idea that a school district would require a five year old to receive an, uh, an experimental vaccine that you know some of the experiment the, the data is in which the six month number is in. Yeah. So do they are they now required every six months to be vaccinated? Like it's a. That's the road that we are going down yeah. right now as a country. Right. Because if not, by the way, if they're not required every six months, then why would you do it even with the first time? Like if it's not required every six months, then it makes no sense to require it the first time. That's completely intellectually dishonest. And especially because we're not testing for antibodies or whatever, but it's like, yeah, when it comes to kids, it, and I'm hoping that actually when it comes to kids that uh, that this will even – be more like and i say that and then and we're sending the kids to school in masks and they're of course parents are very 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 comfortable uh and aggressive about about that but you know start injecting stuff into our kids every six months uh that's you know i'm definitely out on that um and you know i mean it is i guess we kind of i don't know we've taken a couple of laps here <laughs> but freedom to do what you were exactly what you were designed to do, um, it does intersect here with this, and in, in that, with us making decisions for uh, the better of our children or not, um, there are things in our culture that, if they're required, um, I'm okay with our kids. I'm okay with bucking those in our government and and instead going back to. The scripture itself, which you know, I mean, honestly, brings us back to the conversation we started with, which is: at what age is a child able to consent? At what able? At what age is and is consent the law and the standard that we go by by God's standard? Um, the thing that uh, I feel like I didn't cover well enough on Sunday. Um, it was at the end, and I was like, "Man, I, I really want to understand this personally myself." Uh, but when it comes to that in general, because we could find ourselves right back into what's, um, because he talks about being a slave to, we're not a slave to sin, but now he says we're a slave to righteousness. And the question of what, like what does that even mean? Because you could get yourself back into a whole thing of, of works again, back into, um, I'm choosing not to do these things, but I am choosing to do these things, and these things will make me holy. Um, but what I like, Paul's solution was not to, to break free from the sin of slavery of to sin. His point was not to now make yourself a slave to these rules and regulations and policies and procedures. Uh, because he clearly said in Romans 2 that that doesn't work either. But he, this little sentence that he throws in there, it's Romans six, nineteen. He says, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Like, being a slave to righteousness leading to holiness. I think I would have, for most of my life, probably, uh, and my proclivity still would be that I want to be a slave to holiness because that leads to righteousness. It's the saved by works, not by grace. And, you know, and again, in our, we'll be talking about many of the things we're talking about in our culture is, is actually being a slave to their version of holiness. If I do this, uh, I do that, whatever, then I'm accepted and I'm holy and I'm complete. Um, Self-righteousness. So I, yeah I have to do these things in order to be accepted into this. And what Paul is saying here is and he just sort of drops it in and moves on I'm like, well, that's a big bomb to drop. like now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. And when we were talking a little bit ago about whether you know we wanted you know Bill Gates to be our moral guide or whoever, who are we going to offer ourselves as is it going to be someone that we can trust? Uh, is it starts with is it true right we've talked about that but it, you, you would hope and hope and pray that if this what is true is that the one that is they were offering ourselves to as a slave of of serving of living for is is going to be good and jesus proved it bill gates did not die for us uh, in fact he has uh, lived quite well uh for us <laughs> uh, his crappy operating system and uh, has done very well financially because of it. Uh, but Jesus, you know, the God of the universe becomes man. He dies for us as a ransom for our sins. Mark tells us, you know, tells us uh, an atonement for our sins in Romans um, didn't have to, but he did it gladly. He did it willingly. Um, and, and then his last night on earth, his whole, his whole MO while on earth was as a servant to the disciples. And what you're talking about is that you're, I'm offering myself not to a, a list of rules and regulations, I'm offering myself to the one who offered himself to me, which is why marriage is the metaphor that he used. Yeah. Um, I don't offer myself uh, as a slave, uh, as, a, as a husband to the rules and regulations of, of my home. I offer myself as the servant to my wife which then leads to me, you know, acting less and less like a doofus. And in Paul's words, this, it's why it's so important because you you easily, I mean, I actually been, uh, even in communicating this, like you have to somewhere there's this, there are decisions you make that are, that have consequences and you shouldn't make those decisions. But if you start with the do, um, you just end up on this treadmill of lists. But if you start with done, which is what was done for me by Jesus righteousness, that actually leads to holiness, um, to where I'm not like white knuckling myself through it, but the every day as I'm offering myself as that to him. I become more and more complete in holiness. It's the word sanctification, uh, in some people's translations, holiness in others. Um, somebody said on sunday that you know it, it means set apart um it, it it there's an element of that but the etymology of it is literally is wholeness is holding wholeness in right. us and so part of being whole is we are set apart like that's what we were made to do designed to do and the holiness of it is we are where we started which is you were, your the freedom is doing exactly what you were designed to do and we were designed for holiness we were designed for completeness and um it doesn't start with me putting out the list and the goals and the you know and the checklist it literally starts with me remembering what jesus did what was done and out of done i move into do
1: romans twelve one and 2 i know it's a little bit down the road but to me it's a complimentary yeah it's a theme in Paul's verse yeah. where he says i appeal to you therefore Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. What a great encouragement. (laughs) Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I love that he says by testing you may discern. Like we can test yeah. culture, we can test the world to see if things work in the way we might want it to or think it could. Right, right. Or we could test by doing it the Lord's way by presenting ourselves as a as a sacrifice unto him and that we, and by doing that we can discern the will of the Father. Mm. And you know, I feel like that kind of draws a line yeah. a little bit for us um a little bit of a litmus test on how we
0: can live in freedom yeah and you know and it's this lifelong journey it's this like even the way that paul when he says offer yourselves like it 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 speaks of this daily thing that's an everyday thing everyday um you know the problem with the living sacrifice is we crawl off the altar <laughs> right <laughs> you can get back up on there again uh and the the, the oh gosh, the, 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 to me, the best part of this whole thing is that we are, uh, when we are offering ourselves, the very thing that we get so nervous about wanting to do is actually the thing that we were made to do. And man, fulfillment and all the stuff that we want um, is uh, is found there. Like the, the purpose, the meaning is found there. So the thing we've tried to avoid, uh, once we're willing to submit and offer ourselves is that, that is true freedom uh, from slavery uh, to sin, is by becoming a slave not to holiness but to righteousness. We dove in
1: deep. We lived up to the podcast name. Yeah, we did. The Deeper Podcast. <laughs> and uh, so thanks for sticking with us through each of these podcasts. We appreciate your feedback uh, when we dive into these things. And if you've missed a few, maybe you're just. Getting clued into the deeper podcast obviously you can scroll back and, and get caught up not over just the past couple weeks and couple months but over the past year um, we've been doing this and it just it's been a great outlet to follow up from the previous Sunday's teaching you can also go back and watch if you'd like uh, the teaching from this Sunday and prior Sundays on our YouTube channel just go to youtube.com search conduit church you will see our channel pop up there and of course Any information, any contact info, prayer requests, etc. that you would like to submit or find information about ConduitChurch.com, and we will be here again next week.